the Brussels Report podcast. Welcome to the first podcast of Brussels Report. Um, EU. Uh, Brussels Report is a new uh, magazine dedicated to um, covering news and analysis uh, on the Eurozone, the EU, and once in a while also um, investment issues. Uh, my name is uh, Peter Kleppe. I'm the editor-in-chief of BrusselsReport.eu, uh, which aims to be a platform uh, for uh, people across Europe and outside of Europe to, uh, to provide their opinion and analysis uh, to discuss these issues. Uh, I'm more than happy today that I have with me um, Lex Hoogduin, Professor Lex Hoogduin, who is a, an economics professor at uh, University of Groningen in the Netherlands. Um, before that, he used to be the chairman of a big clearinghouse in, in London, uh, LCH Clearing. And um, I would say most importantly, uh, back in the days at the beginning when the euro was founded, uh, Professor Hoogduin uh, was the advisor to the first uh, president of the uh, European uh, Central Bank, uh, Wim Duisenberg, a, Dutch, um, a Dutchman. Um, now, um, Professor Hoogden, uh, welcome. Uh, let's, let's start with it right away. So um, at BrusselsReport.eu, we have uh, made the point, and many commentators, several commentators have made the point that uh, governments are ever more uh, dependent on the European Central Bank. To what extent do you think that is actually correct, and and to what extent that is uh, that is the case? First of all, thank you, uh, Peter, for having me here today, and I'm honored to be the first guest in your hopefully very long podcast uh, series. Uh, com coming to your thank you. coming to your question, yeah, I think that is uh, that is right. Uh, as we speak, I think quite a number of governments are dependent on the ECB and in the sense of being dependent on very low interest rates for having their uh, debt sustainable. Yes, um, and uh, in Europe, like, what would be the governments that you would single out uh, that are, let's say, obviously uh, dependent on the, on the ECB? To the um, in in the sense that if you would have a material increase in interest rates, that without the ECB, that they would be very close to default. Yeah, I would I would mention six uh, countries that in any case are on that on that list: uh, Greece, Italy, France, Spain, Belgium, and. Uh, and Portugal, not that they would immediately default, but that uh, they would trigger uh, substantial financial instability issues mm -hmm. uh, with uh, potentially an economic crisis. And as we have seen in such situations, you don't need to actually uh, default uh, for having uh, also doubts about the sustainability of the euro mm. uh, itself. And um, going back, um, what are sort of the, let's say, the, 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 the pivotal, pivotal points where things went wrong, um, if, you, if you look back uh, to the history of the, of the euro? Yeah, 
Well, well when, when the euro was founded, it was already clear that a, a number of countries had already at that stage, of course, a debt uh, way above uh, 60%. Uh, and only in, in some cases very recently started to decline in the direction of 60%. So when the euro started, it was emphasized by, for instance, the ECB that um, those countries should continue, as it was formulated in a very diplomatic way, mm-hmm. on their way of bringing their, and that's, these are my own words, their government debt further, uh, further down at an appropriate uh, pace. And all this was stimulated by the Stability and Growth Pact. Uh, now, the, the problem is that from the very beginning, uh, the, the enforcement of the Stability and Growth Pact uh, was, was problematic. Uh, and also, countries, even the big countries, did not fully comply uh, with it. I, I recall 2003 to 2004 that Germany and, and France uh, did not really did not really uh, comply. Nevertheless, I would say until the uh, financial crisis of two thousand seven two thousand eight, mm-hmm. this was not uh, visibly hampering uh, the functioning of the ECB. Uh, the ECB ECB's main objective is price stability, and it, it was quite successful at achieving that primary objective and the let's say the situation around government deficits and debts were a little bit in the background because of that but that changed quite dramatically of course during the financial crisis uh, of 2007-2008 and the aftermath which uh, turned that crisis into a euro uh, into a euro crisis and um, after and, and at that stage when uh, Italy and Spain came under uh, pressure. The government of Italy and Spain came under pressure. Uh, Mario Draghi uh, spoke his fi- famous words. The ECB would uh, do whatever it takes to uh, save the euro. Uh, and believe me, it will be enough. And that 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 led to the introduction of the OMT uh, program. And that calmed down, let's say, the uh, the pressure. But nevertheless, uh, in the aftermath of the crisis, uh, debt levels were not convincingly uh, reduced in, uh, mm-hmm. in, in many euro area countries. And then more recently, I think the next uh, vital point, using your words, was the, uh, the outbreak of the corona crisis. Uh, during the corona crisis, it, uh, it became clear uh, that, that countries, had to spend a lot of money, government uh, expenditures, to to cope with the, uh, with the uh, Corona crisis, and that ha- that has led to a further deterioration of the situation with uh, with their public finances. Uh, I think rightly, the the enforcement of the uh, stability and growth pact with uh, was not strong anyway, but but uh, formally there was this enforcement has been suspended, and again I think rightly so. But the the the, um, the impact has been that uh, now the countries that I just mentioned 
have also debt levels that are quite problematic from a sustainability point of view, uh, or in other words, their sustainability of their government debts uh, depends on interest rates remaining very low for quite a long time and for the ECB mm-hmm. to uh, to continue its QE uh, programs to, to ensure that. And would you... Um... Would you agree with um, Mr. Borio of the Bank uh, of International Settlements? Or he maintains in a paper that um, um, that indeed central banks at the global level, so definitely in Europe as well, are responsible for the low interest rates uh, or for the long-term low interest rates uh, environment? Or would you say, yeah, it's probably not only central banks. There are other factors that also suppress um interest rates yeah i think this is a very important and interesting uh debate uh but before i say something about it um let me let me let me stress that whatever the reason is that interest rates are very long first or very low uh at this moment um the fact that now government debts are so high in several countries uh, means that, uh, again, for the sustainability of those debts, uh, we re- we have to uh, we are depend we have become uh, they have become dependent on these rates remaining very low for quite some time. Uh, quite some time. Yes. Uh, d- uh, whatever, irrespective of what the reasons are for these rates being very low. But let me nevertheless say a few words about that. Uh, there are basically two. Two schools here. The, the one school is that, uh, cent- that that central bank rates are very low uh, because of the so-called savings glut. And so that is an excess anti-saving in the world, and often and mainly linked to the aging of the population. Mm-hmm. And that uh, central banks, as it were, follow that fundamental factor and that equilibrium interest rates or sometimes called natural natural rates are very low uh, and some even argue that they are uh, negative uh, the alternative explanation is that this is uh, not the main uh, factor and it is central banks themselves that have uh, via their policies uh, contributed very strongly to ever falling uh, interest rates and to uh, them being now uh, as low as they as they are. Now, my own view is that um, for, first of all, uh, interest rates are the outcome of a complex process, and there's not just one uh, course mm-hmm. course uh, for for, for uh, developments. But looking at all the factors, uh, my own view is that uh, it is quite plausible that the monetary policies of central banks and the monetary policy regimes of central banks uh, are a dominant factor uh, in this uh, development. So I'm closer to Claudio Borio than uh, to Ben Bernanke in this respect. But let me repeat. 
at the end of this answer that uh, going forward it is uh, it is important um, to analyze on whether you could indeed with high confidence assume that these rates will remain quite low for quite a long time so that you don't have to worry about the sustainability of government debts and also private debts. Thank you. And and then um, another question indeed. In, in um, I think it was in 2010 or at least during the euro crisis, the Federal Reserve, the American Central Bank, has been active uh, providing so-called swap liquidity um, to the European financial system. Mm-hmm. Some people have claimed that this has been more important than the words of uh, Mario Draghi and the, the bailout packages decided uh, in, in Europe at the eurozone level. I mean, what is your opinion about this? Uh, and I think this is quite important because if we would see a rerun of the euro crisis, then perhaps once again, um, Washington DC may have to come uh, to the rescue. Yeah, I, I, I find it difficult to... Let's say uh, put a quantitative measure on what was it more more important. I, I I do I do think that Mario Draghi's remarks were very important, but at the same time, you make a very uh, important point about uh, the role of these uh, of these swaps. But if I'm I'm correct, these swaps were already uh, necessary to to provide during the uh, the financial crisis and that has to do with the fact that the international financial system is really a dollar denominated uh, system mm-hmm. the, the, the federal reserve is as it were the the central bank of the world uh, given the globalized globalized world and if the if fed would not have uh, provided these uh, swaps, this would have been very de- detrimental not only to the uh, to the Europeans but to to many more uh, countries around the world. And we have seen during the Corona crisis that again these swaps had to be uh, had to be activated uh, again mm-hmm. because again the, the international monetary system is still a dollar denominated system. Uh, interestingly enough. But I will, don't want to, to elaborate too much on it because it's a bit a, bit a side topic from uh, our topic today. The, 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 the pattern of, uh, let's say, where the liquidity from the Fed had to flow, uh, indeed, it, during the euro crisis, was to Europe. Uh, but now, uh, now during the uh, corona crisis, it was more in the di- direction of Asia. Uh, so that's, that's an interesting pattern to... Of also for for researchers, but but you, uh, as to your question, I think it is true that that Mario Draghi's words, in my view, were very important, but uh, it was not just his words. Do you think to to press you a little bit on that, in case European politicians would really not be able to sell more bailouts and more um, monetary activism uh, to the European population in order to to keep the euro alive? Do you think the Federal Reserve is even able to, let's say, perhaps expand these swap lines so to keep uh, the Eurozone alive? Or would that not be uh, feasible? Would that be the end of the Eurozone if there's not sufficient political consent left 
Yeah, in, I, th- uh, I think in that, Europe. Yeah, that, that then the that's that would be the uh, in the end of the of the euro. Uh, absolutely, I, th- I think the issue the issue here is in the context of our topic. Can 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 you survive a situation where there would be upward pressure on interest rates, uh, which would put upward pressure on uh, government uh, debts and 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 government interest uh, payments? Can you cope with that? And if the if the Europeans cannot cope with that themselves, I don't I don't see that the Fed would. Uh, would be able to help them out. But and what if there's um, this pressure? Let's assume a situation that's perhaps not so unrealistic, um, uh, huge economic damage becoming apparent as a result of the COVID crisis in Europe, the ECB dramatically stepping up its monetary activism and um, and the balance sheet of the ECB, even I think now it's already at 70% of Eurozone GDP, going to, I don't know, 150% to GDP. And um, is, there, is, there a, is there a situation conceivable where um, we finally see inflation going out of control, forcing the ECB to hike rates? Well, this is not necessary. Um, for the Fed to do is that conceivable? Yeah, I, I think we can we can leave out the uh, the Fed that that complicates the argument. Uh, mm, so sure. we, I, I think we can we can simply analyze whether the uh, assumption that interest rates will remain low forever, uh, whether there are scenarios where that will not be the case, uh, and. Assume that that we are in such a scenario, and that, that, that we I will elaborate on such a scenario in a minute. But let's assume we are in such a scenario. What then? What then would be the position of the ECB? So let's assume there is inflationary uh, pressure. Then at that at at that point, the ECB uh, should, according to its mandate, should increase interest rates. Um, and give priority to maintaining price stability. That would uh, that could trigger if if the uh, the, the needed uh, interest rate increase or the perceived needed interest rate increase is quite significant. That could create the the pressures that we discussed earlier on the sustainability of uh, government debt and could create a type of uh, pressure that we have seen in 2012 in particular. Um, so then the question is, are there scenarios where we would have increasing inflationary pressure, re-emerging inflationary pressure, and I would argue and or uh, increasing interest rates uh, upward pressure on interest rates uh, from other sources than inflationary pressure, so triggered by the markets. And mm-hmm. I think for both for both scenarios, uh, I think there is, uh, in my view, they are plausible that that can uh, that can happen for um, 
up a re-emerging inflationary pressure, I think we can refer to the recent work of uh, Charles Goodhart and Manoj Pradhan, who have written a book, uh, The Great uh, Demographic Reversal, where they argue that in the uh, in the coming years, and can already be in the medium term, uh, mm-hmm. uh, inflationary pressures will uh, re-emerge because they, they argue uh, in line with the let's say the mainstream interpretation of why interest rates are so low that that we had a period with a savings glut due to demographic reasons that we also had the downward pressure on wage rates because of the uh, uh, the, the emerging market economies china in particular uh, and also in the advanced economies uh, increased female participation in labor markets that put downward pressure on wages altogether and downward pressure on wages translated into downward pressure on uh, on prices. It also led to a uh, l- uh, lower uh, impact influence of uh, unions and so on and so forth. And uh, they argue that these trends are reversing. And they document that in a recently published uh, book so that, so that we get upward pressure on inflation. Is this the most Likely scenario, I would argue that it, it need not be the most likely scenario, but uh, if it is a plausible scenario, then it is something that you have to take into account into your policies. Then mm-hmm. on top of that, I think is a, a factor that I would add to the uh, Goodhart and Pradhan scenario, I would argue that given the, the very uh, very low interest rates at the outset, at the moment, and given the very ample liquidity in the system at the moment, it would be quite difficult for uh, the, the ECB, in this case, to stop uh, an inflationary process or to counter an inflationary process by just gently e- increasing interest rates. Uh, uh, the, the ECB policy is so far from being... Uh, uh, contractionary uh, being tied that, that if you have to react uh, and if interest rates are then still at the current level you have to react very uh, very strongly. So that, that's mm. for, uh, for, for interest rate sorry for, for uh, inflationary scenarios that may trigger interest rate increases. I think it is also uh, possible that we will have Upward pressure on long-term interest rates, in particular, uh, coming from uh, what I would call market dynamics. If we if we look back mm-hmm. uh, and we have discussed a bit the, uh, the 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 current low interest rate levels, and we have discussed uh, what the causes are for that interest rate level, but uh, irrespective of the causes, what we have seen is that over the past thirty-five years or so is a declining trend in long-term interest rates. And for financial market participants, that meant uh, that in particular in fixed income, their total return uh, was not only uh, positively determined by the level of the interest rate itself, but also by continuous capital gains because of the falling interest rates. Uh, and that what has what uh, made uh, fixed income investments uh, very attractive, has given... Uh, Tailwinds to fixed income investment has uh, allowed 
the emergence of very large uh, asset managers like BlackRock and PIMCO uh, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, of course, has also given a boost to uh, other uh, asset classes than just fixed income, but fixed income in particular. Now, I one thing is quite certain, I would say, going forward, is that the next 35 years uh, in this respect will be very different from the past. It is unlikely that interest rates will continue to decline uh, <laughs> at the pace that we have seen them falling over mm -hmm. the past 35 years. That's almost uh, impossible. So that means that we go into another regime. And if, if, if you are an investor, let's say in Dutch government bonds, triple A, with a slightly negative interest rate level, and you, at the moment, it is not very likely that you will have huge capital gains going forward. The question is, why should you, if you are free to decide, why should you keep them in your portfolio? Why not restructure your portfolio towards, uh, towards other asset uh, classes? If more and more investors uh, are starting to realize or are starting to conclude that the, uh, that the future for fixed income is not that bright, like, for instance, Warren Buffett has already <laughs> expressed publicly, then there may at some point uh, be uh, more and more investors, again, who have the uh, possibility to do so, to, uh, to sell their government bond portfolios, which would then put upper mm -hmm. pressure on the ECB, among other countries, another central bank, sorry, among other central banks. And they then have to, have to buy more and more uh, of those bonds to keep interest rates at low levels. That in itself could uh, trigger political unrest in countries where very low interest rates are hurting uh, savers and pensioners in uh, particular. That could pre put pressure on the ECB to not uh, continue with these QE programs. Mm -hmm. The question is also how flexible are these QE programs for dealing with uh, sudden bouts of uh, selling? We have already seen recently that the ECB, it took time for the ECB when there was upward pressure in the US and also spilling over to the, to the, uh, the euro area. Uh, the ECB waited until there was a, had been a governing council meeting for reacting. It allowed uh, interest rate to go up. Well, if, the, if in, in future we get huge uh, or larger pressure on uh, interest rates, it, it's a question of whether the ECB will be uh, able to uh, to withstand that uh, to withstand that pressure it may also trigger uh, new legal cases against the ECB for yes. for not being proportional. So if you add it all all together and you're an investor, you don't wait until all, all this happens. And at some point, investors may may start to sell, trigger a critical mass, and uh, that that could lead to, yeah, to a difficult position for the ECB. So, assuming, uh, in summary, assuming that interest rates will remain low forever and that the ECB will always uh, be able to keep them uh, as low as they want them to uh, to be, I think is uh, is not very responsible. 
uh, way of dealing with it. I think that it, these scenarios that I just pointed out yes. are plausible. Apart pressure from the market. Now, Lex, I mean, to press you again, what, what if the IMF comes to the rescue? rescue? Um, recently, uh, President Biden in the United States overrided the, um, the refusal of Trump uh, or reverted, reversed the refusal of Trump to, to let the IMF expand the SDR, which are sort of, let's say, a global currency, you could say, yeah. uh, with, with, uh, with uh, the idea was to, to, to give more liquidity in this way to struggling um, governments in developing countries. Now, perhaps you could conceive a scenario where the SDRs are expanded, but also to help the Eurozone, because a collapse of the Eurozone would also hurt the international banking system. Or is that um, is that not conceivable, or, or is that only let's say in the margin that this could make a difference? I, I think this, uh, if this were to to happen, expansion of SDRs uh, that makes a, uh, a scenario in which there will be inflationary pressure more likely. Mm. So it, it it doesn't help; it does hinder. Uh, I would mm-hmm. I would argue. So, so I, I, I think that this doesn't help at all. The situation is what, what, what happens if there is inflationary pressure? And is, are there scenarios in which there will be inflationary pressure? As said, I think that, is, that it's plausible. Such scenarios are plausible, uh, both for structural reasons and also for quite high liquidity at the moment, very low interest rates at the moment. So. Question is what hap- what would happen if inflation starts to increase in the euro area um, in the in the coming in the coming years and then I think I think what the ECB will do is to 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 try to keep interest rates as low as long as they can by continuing uh, increasing QE if they uh, can and one of the things that uh, may well happen is that the, the ECB is currently conducting a uh, strategic review, and one of the outcomes of the st- strategic reviews may be that the ECB will in future target average inflation, like the mm-hmm. U- like the, the Fed has concluded recently, uh, and that means that if inflation starts to increase, that the ECB will uh, say, uh, let's not react immediately. Let's continue with keeping interest rates very low because we want to uh, now run a couple of years where inflation is above target rather than below target as it has been the past, what is it, five five to 10 years, whatever whatever it is. So, so that means that, uh, again, a scenario in which inflation will uh, go up uh, is is a plausible scenario. Now, for the sustainability of uh, debt levels, that initially may may be welcome because to the extent that that, infl- that, that inflation is unexpected, uh, it will reduce, uh, it will not lead to uh, higher interest rates uh, and it will uh, eat into the into the debt, uh, the debt levels, the real value of the of the of the debt, uh, but yes, at some which point, which they so, would like it, yeah. uh, but at some point uh, the ECB will be forced to react and will then be 
uh, given that their, their policies are so expansionary and that inflation has already gone up very uh, high, it's in a very difficult uh, position. It cannot stop inflation than by just raising interest rates very modestly. It, should, it, has to, it has to react very sharply. It's the kind of situation that we had at the end of the, the 70s when Paul Volcker had to stop an inflation in the, in the US. And, mm. and then uh, you, that, that's then the point at which the euro uh, comes, comes at stake and where the ECB will be on, under very strong pressure not to raise interest rates. Uh, and then, then we, ha- we are in a scenario that we, we have an uncontrolled inflationary uh, process or the ECB reacts and then uh, yeah, you will have a financial economic crisis and uh, pressure on the sustainability of the, uh, the euro. Now, the question is, at that, po- at that point, uh, have, have uh, actions been taken to cope with the high, current high debt levels. If not, then I think this is a this is a deep crisis, and that is the moment where either the euro will fall apart, or we will move to a fiscal union, uh, and then later step by step followed by a uh, political union, and uh, probably uh, debt will. Uh, Will, will be restructured and to a certain extent be be forgiven as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe before we wrap up, one more uh, question. You, you, you discussed how uh, there could be sort of market-driven uh, dynamics uh, sort of um, driving uh, inflation up, right? Uh, but what if... Um, these alternative cryptocurrencies start to play a role. At least that is the hope of uh, of many proponents of, of Bitcoin. Um, the idea is that that uh, people would start paying each other in cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and um, and and thereby uh, fiat money, government money would become less attractive. Do, do you think that is far fetched, or or do you think that's actually um, Realistic, uh, as someone who actually knows the financial system, both in academic terms and in, in uh, also in, in practical uh, terms, having having served um, in in a clearinghouse, you, you are you are you are more than experienced to to be able to judge the potential of this this whole uh, crypto uh, development. And I should add to that, if if crypto would not be able to do that, what about old fashioned? physical gold and silver would that not constrain the uh, the ability of the ecb to expand the money supply uh, given that people can always buy gold and, and silver uh, to store uh, their savings that they would otherwise store in in banks yeah it's it's a very uh, good 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 and interesting uh, question first of all on Bitcoin, I and, and other cryptocurrencies, I don't think that they, in the current situation, can be a realistic alternative for, uh, for let's say the uh, let's for let's say the euro, because at the moment inflation is very low, uh, interest rates are uh, very low. 
So the question is, if we come in a situation where inflation is really starting to accelerate and the the uh, sustainability of the current financial system uh, would become at stake, then I think uh, it it may be it may be an alternative, mm. uh, but not 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 as long as the ECB is able to keep interest rates low uh, and. Uh, as long as the market consensus is that interest rates will remain low uh, forever, and uh, so I, I I I don't think that that only in a, a real crisis will people move to another untested uh, and 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 so far still also unstable, uh, far more unstable than the. Uh, than the current currencies, uh, unstable uh, cryptocurrencies. So I don't think so. Um, but again, uh, the current if no action will be taken on the current high debt levels, mm-hmm. uh, then then I think we yeah we live uh, we live dangerously as it were. It's a bit like somebody who uh, eats and drinks too much. Uh, and you have people who, who be, become 110, uh, living dangerously, as it were. But uh, many people do not survive that, and you are vulnerable. And I think the, 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 the current euro and euro area is vulnerable, and even more so after the corona crisis. And the, the, the basic question is, do we want to live with that? Are we really convinced that there will ne- never be inflationary pressures? Uh, or do we take action? If we don't take action, then we, we run the risk of uh, really a uh, an existential uh, crisis uh, again. And in such a situation, then it, it may well be that people uh, start to to move to other uh, to other uh, currencies, cryptocurrencies uh, mm. among them. Your second, you, basically, you, you you also asked another uh, question, which is. It deserves, I would almost say, a complete uh, podcast uh, <laughs> uh, issue. Separate podcast. A separate podcast. And that's, that's the question of uh, basically the issue of the, the strategic review of the ECB. Um, and th- that's the question of is uh, the, 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 are the current monetary policy strategies, the inflation targeting strategies, that have developed since the 1980s are they sustainable? And we, we ended up with these uh, strategies uh, since the uh, early 1970s, the end of the Bretton Woods system. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Bretton Woods system, there was, be it not perfect uh, and only partial links between the currencies and, uh, and gold. But you, you had anchored systems. And since the 1970s, early 1970s, we have entered a fiat money system where uh, you could argue that, let's say, that allowed the enormous explosion of the money supply, an explosion of the financial sector, explosion mm-hmm. of debts and, uh, and credit levels. Uh, the end of the link with gold since 1971. Yeah, yeah. So that has allowed, you know, and what I, what I, uh, used to call a great financial expansion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, it's a topic as such uh, for me that has had di- uh, deep implications 
for the role of central banks and monetary policy. And you could argue that if you look uh, into monetary history, uh, there's always a question of money uh, being provided too easily. And then you end up with uh, with inflation and financial uh, uh, crisis. Or if you have a situation in which the monetary system is not elastic enough, is too rigid, uh, then then you will end up with uh, yeah, a liquidity crisis and also financial crisis. And economic history is a, is, is a bit uh, finding a balance and rebalancing all the time. And we are now in a period of uh, fiat money, so money that is highly uh, unanchored. Uh, we know from history that fiat, fiat money systems are, tend to be unstable. Uh, they, they, on average, survive a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, most of the time, because of uh, over, over issue of money, they, uh, they, they collapse. Uh, and and yeah, what we have seen after the uh, the unanchoring of money since the seventies is this uh, blowing up or rapidly increasing of the financial of the financial sector. Well, but of course now will be different, right? Sorry, <laughs> I'm saying now it will be different. Yeah, I cannot see you, but I I I, <laughs> I, I assume that you have an uh, ironic. Yes, <laughs> expression on your <laughs> on your face now. Uh, yes, this this time will be different. <laughs> well, okay, uh, Lex. I think we'll have to wrap it up here. But I thought that was a, a very interesting uh, conversation, and I was more than happy to be able to uh, to ask you some pressing questions that I always had uh, when it comes to the euro. Um, because I think we have to be humble. It's dangerous to predict it will uh, collapse. Uh, in one year, or that inflation will uh, will be unleashed uh, very quickly. I mean, um, I've never made these predictions myself. Many people have, but uh, nevertheless, I've always been very, very critical to the path that has been chosen. And I think um, I mean, it's great to hear uh, hear your expertise to shine a light uh, on that. Uh, so, so that's it. Thank you, thank you very much, uh, Lex, and, uh, and let's definitely stay in touch. Uh, it was my pleasure, and indeed, let's stay in touch. Thank you. The Brussels Report podcast.